The Legal Underground Podcast, Episode 42. On today's show, the Florida Supreme Court wrestles with pit bulls. Underneath their robes disappears, and lawyers try to hide their personalities. This is the Legal Underground Podcast, hosted by Evan Schaefer, one of the friendliest trial lawyers you're ever likely to meet, but hopefully won't have to. And now, here's Evan Schaefer. Hey everyone, I'm off to Michigan for some depositions this week, but I thought I'd try to sandwich in a quick podcast before I leave. I'm Evan Schaefer, by the way the proprietor of the weblog Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground. If you don't read it, hey, why not give it a try? Sometimes I wonder, by the way, if the lawyers who are on the other side of the cases I work on listen to this crazy podcast. I think they probably don't. It's still true that most lawyers don't read weblogs, and that means no one is going to find out about my little podcasting secret unless they Google my name, which doesn't always happen as a matter of course. For, For example, I often Google law firm names to find a phone number, but I rarely do any internet research on my opposing counsel. Maybe I should, but I don't. So I figure that those lawyers who I'm going to see up in Michigan, well, they aren't going to hear me talking about them here, so I just don't need to worry about it. And if I do need to worry about it, if they are listening, here's my message to them. I'm going to kick your asses. I'm going to rip out your necks like a pit bull. No, no, just joking. I mentioned pit bulls for a reason. Did you hear about the decision of the Florida Supreme Court to discipline a small firm of personal injury lawyers who could be reached at their law firm by using the toll-free number 1-800-PITBULL? It's true. The firm also used to use images of pit bulls in their ads. The decision by the Florida Supreme Court begins like this, quote, In this case, we impose discipline on two attorneys for their use of television advertising devices that violate the rules of professional conduct. These devices, which invoke the breed of dog known as the pit bull, demean all lawyers and thereby harm both the legal profession and the public's trust and confidence in our system of justice. Close quote. Ah, yes. Pit bulls demeaning lawyers. Lawyers being demeaned by pit bulls. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe so. But the controversy started, at least in part, for the opposite reason. One of these pit bull advocates, and there are lots of them, the pit bull lovers who say that pit bulls are historically friendly creatures who are getting a bad rap in the press, well, one of them said that the lawyer ads were demeaning pit bulls. You understand? Not pit bulls demeaning lawyers, but lawyers demeaning pit bulls. It makes sense to me, but the Florida Supreme Court didn't buy it. While a lower-level judge, called a referee in this case, did find that the qualities of a pit bull as depicted in the firm's advertising were loyalty, persistence, tenacity, and aggressiveness. The Florida Supreme Court disagreed and said that this was a, quote, charitable set of associations that ignores the darker side of the qualities often associated with pit bulls, malevolence, viciousness, and unpredictability. So who looks worse, the pit bulls or the lawyers? I'm not going to get involved in that dispute. I will say, however, that I agree with the commentators, and there were lots of them, who said that the general public is smart enough to know when a metaphor is being used as a metaphor, that they're smart enough to know, without being condescended to by the Florida Supreme Court, 
that their lawyers aren't really going to be mauling the opposition. Disagree? Then send me an email. Maybe you'll change my mind. When I return in a moment after a short musical break, it'll be on to a new topic. The controversy surrounding the sudden disappearance last week of the weblog Underneath Their Robes. blog underneath their robes made its first appearance in the blogosphere about a year and a half ago it received lots of well-deserved attention from the mainstream media for the way its anonymous author known only as article 3 groupie it hit upon in an irreverent and clever way of sharing gossip about federal judges it was the almanac of the federal judiciary crossed with people magazine and even if the writing was sort of annoying as parody i think it was supposed to be annoying well it was a fun weblog Reportedly, even federal judges were reading it, which is a pretty good indication that its author was on to something. Did you ever get a chance to read underneath their robes? Hopefully you did, because as of last week, it's gone. I won't bore you with the story, which I assume you probably know about already. Even the New York Times wrote about it. But in short, the anonymous author revealed his identity, his real identity, to a writer for the New Yorker, Jeffrey Tubin, and it turned out that he was a federal prosecutor and his bosses weren't too happy that he was running this anonymous gossip sheet about federal judges. Add to that, that as the author of Underneath Their Robes, he was pretending to be a woman, well, that was just too much for a lot of people, and he was forced, reportedly, to shut the weblog down. It's too bad, because I think that the author of Underneath Their Robes, in revealing his identity to the New Yorker writer, thought that it was going to launch his literary career, make him famous, and get him a book deal. Well... It sort of had the opposite effect. He got famous, but he also got in a lot of trouble at work. Too bad. Call it a weblogging miscalculation. A story that, well, really hasn't ended yet. Maybe there'll be more about the author of Underneath Their Robes and something good that will come out of this for him. Meanwhile, if you want to read more about the story, take a look at Howard Bashman's weblog, How Appealing. He did a lot of original reporting on the story, and it was a popular story too, as I know, personally since a couple of posts I did about the underneath-their-robe controversy on my weblog got more traffic than almost anything I've ever done before. That was actually sort of fun, the way that played out for me last week. What happened was that I was reading Underneath Their Robes just as its author was taking it offline, and all of a sudden it had password protection. It meant that I couldn't keep reading, but by hitting back on my browser, I was able to see the final post. And at that time, the weblog had a post titled, This Blog Has Been Taken Offline. I could see that the post had been posted to the weblog, but I couldn't actually read the post. So I took a screenshot of the weblog with that particular post title, and apparently I was one of the few who saw it. 
I posted the screenshot on my weblog, and it was only moments before others were linking to it, and I had hundreds of people on my weblog trying to take a look at that screenshot. That went on all week. Sort of weird, I have to admit. With everything else going on in the world, underneath their robes was one of the top searches on Technorati last week. On the other hand, it was an interesting story. It's not every day that a popular weblog goes up in flames. Rest in peace, underneath their robes. Rest in peace. Since moments of silence don't work well on podcasts, I think I'll take another short musical break. When I return, I'll talk a bit about lawyers, weblogs, and the personalities of lawyer webloggers. Don't go away. Always throw the first punch, or he'll knock you off your feet. Don't believe that he's so sorry. week at the lawyer weblogging conference called BlogThink in Chicago, I gave a presentation to some of the lawyers and law students in attendance about how to write weblog posts in a way that will, hopefully, engage readers and build an audience. One of the things I commented on in my presentation was how boring most law-related weblogs are. Does it have to be that way? Only about a year ago, weblogs were generally believed to be playthings for high school girls who wanted to trade gossip. Not true. But that misconception lives on in the lawyer's belief that if they have a weblog, it shouldn't be fun. Instead, it should be professional, which means that it should never reflect the writer's true personality. Not every lawyer with a weblog subscribes to this belief, but many do, and it's too bad. Lawyers have personalities, too. Now, if you want a law-related weblog with a personality, you can do worse and sample some of the great weblogs written by law students. They, they serve as sort of a model for lawyers who are running weblogs and want to figure out how to inject their own personalities into their weblogs. It wasn't very long ago that I wrote a weekly roundup of law student weblogs that I called, somewhat predictably, the Weekly Law School Roundup. It appeared every Sunday. It kept me focused on the best of the law school weblogs. I still want to do that one way or another, that is, get back to focusing on law student weblogs on my own weblog, Legal Underground. Will it mean a return of the weekly law school roundup feature? It might. For now, all I've got to offer is this pledge. For law student weblogs only, if you link to my weblog, I'll link to yours. It's a policy I've followed since I started my own weblog. It helps me to keep track of what's going on in the law student blogosphere. If you're a law student linking to me in your blog role and I'm not linking to you, please let me know, and I'll fix the problem. For all the rest of you, Please be sure to check out some of the great weblogs I've been talking about in this segment so that you know what I mean by personality on weblogs. I've got a giant list of law student weblogs on the right side of Legal Underground. That's where to start. They're all good, but if you don't have the time to read through 120 different weblogs, start with these. Ambivalent Imbroglio, Preaching to the Perverted, Will Work for Favorable Dicta, Pelican Barbecue and Buckeye Beer, Jeremy Rickey's blog, 
Scope Law, Becoming a Jackal, The Electric Commentary, Soapbox Law. Well, that's just a few of them. I don't mean to leave anyone out, and if you feel like I've wrongly neglected your weblog, please send me an email and I'll give you your own special plug on my next podcast. Finally, in the area of law student podcasts, as opposed to weblogs, Life of a Law Student and the Law School Podcast are both still going strong, but it's the second of those, Law School Podcast, where the personalities are more on display. It's not a criticism of Neil Winneman's Life of a Law Student, but his goal is more to provide information, whereas Daryl and Chris at the Law School Podcast are all about the entertainment. Enough of that. Let's turn to feedback about the new format that I tried out a couple of weeks ago. It was called Litigation Radio, and I asked for your thoughts about it, and I received a number of emails, mostly positive. Not all positive, but mostly positive. All the feedback was appreciated, and I'm going to take it all to heart, and I'll probably be back with Litigation Radio number 2 soon, and I'm still looking for a defense lawyer to help me out. Someone who's opinionated, in favor of tort reform, a civil defense lawyer who can present a point of view you don't normally get here. If you fit the bill and would like to participate on a show, please let me know. And that's it for today. The music at the two breaks was by The Candy Butchers, just one of the many excellent artists that can be found at the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. If you'd like to send me feedback, you'll find my email address at my weblog, Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground, at www.legalunderground.com. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it and have them subscribe for free at the iTunes Music Store. Please stay subscribed, and thanks for tuning in. This has been the Legal Underground Podcast. For more legal education, visit Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com. When it doesn't nauseate, it always entertains. <laughs>